Welcome to Pause 5 Podcast, a podcast for people living with HIV, their friends, family and allies. We are so glad you could join us. Here are your hosts, Veda and Robbie. Hello everyone and welcome back to a very, very special episode of the Pause 5 Podcast. My name is Robbie Lawler. And my name is Mrs. Robbie Lawler. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi. Hi, this is our first video recording. It's also our first time recording in Dublin in a while. I know, I know. Um, we are doing a special, yes, very special episode today. Oh. Um, I, I, I'm kind of lost for words. I, I, I t- we said special a few times <laughs> because my heart is just so full to introduce our guest today, which is Aoife Cummings. How are you, Aoife? Hi. <laughs> I feel like everyone's looking at me now. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm getting just a bit shy. some tree cameras. I'm a bit shy. <laughs> Hi, um, pleased to be here. Eva, you are from Galway. I am. You are a nurse. Yes. And you live with HIV. I do. <laughs> it's yeah. the first time I'm coming out and saying that I live well, with HIV. How does it feel? Oh, it's exciting. I'm so ready to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I've been closed up about it for so long, and I'm just ready to get it out there. It's oh. very cool that you chose to come and speak with us about it. I'm really Who grateful. Better? Thank Who you better so much. To be with in the Positive Podcast. <laughs> yes, you're part of the tribe now. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. We're best friends too, Eva. We made this connection. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Bestie straight away. <laughs> Eva, do you want to share with the listeners and watchers um, a little bit more about uh, your story? Oh, it's a long one. <laughs> um, so I got diagnosed in July 2020, so during COVID uh, in Australia. But I became infected in May, and the only reason I know that is because we only had one <laughs> unprotected sex, mm-hmm. and that's how I got it. So um, to go back, I was seeing this guy for a few weeks, and I had recently been tested before I started seeing him because my ex was a horrible human being. He was really mean. And oh. he met, basically messaged me after break up, and he was like, oh, by the way, like, go get yourself checked. Like, I had unprotected sex with you. Like... He told me he hadn't had unprotected sex previously and then he lied. So he was like, oh, by the way, like, I, you know, go get checked. Like he was really nasty about it. So obviously I was really scared, went and got tested. And when I went and got tested, the clinic was like, oh, um, when was the last time you slept with your ex? And I was like, oh, like two months ago, he only just messaged me last week. Like, okay, that's fine because it takes six weeks for HIV to come up in the blood test, which I did not know. I've mm-hmm. been tested before. They never told me that. So I was like shocked. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, well, it's been more than six weeks. So then they were like, if you don't hear from us in two weeks, you know, you're fine. Everything's clear. So I didn't hear back for two weeks and I was seeing this guy for about six weeks at this point. And I asked him, had he been tested? And he was like, yeah, I got, like, you're the last person. I got tested since the last person I had sex with unprotected and I'm fine. Um, and he hadn't been with anyone else. So we were like, okay, great. We're both, we're both in the clear. Let's start having unprotected sex. And the day we went, we went to go give blood together in Sydney and that was fine they both took our blood and that was a thursday and then that night we had unprotected sex Mm -hmm. and he gets a call on the monday and he they're like come into the clinic we have something to tell you and of course he freaked out and i was like oh god it's probably nothing like did you lie about any of the questions and i think he lied about something in the questionnaires i can't remember what it was like something small like i don't know had he had had he taken a drug or something i can't remember but i was like maybe Mm -hmm. they picked up something in your blood it's won't think it's the worst case scenario it's probably nothing mm-hmm. but obviously I was terrified I was like texting my best friend be like oh my god oh my god I think he has HIV yeah. um and she's like it's probably nothing again so the two of us were keeping calm and I was like oh it's fine so he went he was told to go to clinic at five and to distract myself I was like I'm gonna go shopping I'm gonna go into town I was doing a bit of shopping and I get a text from him being like get he, you need to meet me at the clinic now and I was like oh this isn't good and I was like no it's fine it's fine it's 
you know, just tell me what's going on. He's like, just get here now. The doctors need to see you. So obviously you just think worst case scenario mm-hmm. has to be HIV. What else could it be? Um, so I get to the clinic and of course that's what it was. So he had gotten tested before me, um, but it had only been two weeks since he'd been had unprotected sex. And they never told him that he needed to come back and get checked after six weeks. So he didn't know he was told he was clear, no HIV. And okay. so he thought he didn't have it. And because it's within the window period it was of when it shows period, up. Yeah. Well, so he didn't know. And I feel like we couldn't have done anything different. Like mm-hmm. we both had been tested. We were using condoms and then we decided to stop because we both were told we were fine. Yeah. So I was like, everyone's like, oh, you weren't. I always feel like, oh, people are like, oh, you were having unchecked sex. You were being unsafe. But I was like, there, could, there was nothing we could have done different. You know, we really tried <laughs> to have safe mm-hmm. sex and it didn't work. Um, so I that was on a Thursday that we gave the blood. So that was the day we had unprotected sex. And on the Monday, I went into the clinic and they said, OK, it's, you're outside the 72 hour window for the for PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis, but we'll try it anyways. So I did, and I was on that for about a month. And then after the month, they were like, okay, in two weeks, come back and get a blood test. You know, we'll know after the six weeks if you have it. And I just knew I had it. I remember during that four weeks, I got really sick. I got oral thrush. I had mouth ulcers. I was fluey. I was mm-hmm. coughing. I was like, I have it. I just knew I had it. And the doctors were like, no, you probably just, you know, run down. You're probably stressed. You're anxious. And I was like, mm okay I think I do but okay (laughs) and then on the six weeks passed I got my bloods done and they rang me and said you're fine you're negative everything's fine you don't have HIV and I was like great so I was still seeing this guy and we were kind of talking about whether we'd stay together or not because you know I think we were just it was very casual we were just kind of like it was during COVID he kind of wanted to move home I wanted to stay in Australia and I just was getting really sick and back pains um nauseous like no pain relief was working I was trying everything and I was just to the point where I was crying and I couldn't sleep so I went to the hospital and I said I feel really really unwell I have this really really bad back pain like what's going on and they're like we'll do some bloods we'll see what's going on and then when they took my bloods they said that my platelets were really low and my liver functions were really high my liver function tests so they thought I had a virus and I went oh okay I said well look I was recently exposed to HIV I took PEP I was negative but maybe this is what it is and they were like no that's probably not it <gasps> so they sent me home and I was like okay they so, wouldn't test you no, for HIV were, no even though I told them I it was like I've been exposed um and they're like no you're on PEP and you got a negative there's no way this is HIV so sent me home well it sounds like you are going through serif conversion right 100 percent yeah yeah like and they should have known that like I was talking to a doctor in an A&E clinic and they were like no in Sydney you think it's, Sydney have grey healthcare, right? In Sydney. That's shocking. I know. It was really wow. bad, yeah. Um, so I, I went home. Two days later, I'm at home again, and I'm so sick and screaming in pain. Like, I don't know why my back was so sore. It was, like, so strange. But I had um, this weird neuropathy a couple of years ago, like, where I damaged a nerve in my wrist. Mm-hmm. So when I went, went back into A&E, the doctor was, like, an Irish consultant, actually. She was like, oh, with this new weird neuropathy and the back pain you have, like, I'm worried that you might have MS or maybe... <sighs> Or maybe um, a tumor. She was like, I think it could be um, like a spinal tumor or something in your brain, like a malignancy. So I'm going to send you for an outpatient MRI. And at this point, I'd broken out in a rash. And I remember the guy who I dated, who, you know, gave me HIV, said like he had broke out in a rash a couple of weeks beforehand, but he Mm -hmm. didn't think anything of it until obviously he was diagnosed. And he was like, oh, that was a symptom. So I broke out in the rash. I texted him and I was like, I'm I'm out in a rash. I'm in the the hospital. He's like, you definitely have. I think he was like, I really think you have it. I think you should tell them. So I told them again in Amy, I was like, I was recently infected. This is like my second time coming into hospital. I really, mm-hmm. really don't feel well. And they did my bloods again. My liver functions were way off again. They were really, really high. Yeah. My platelets were dropping even lower. My white cells were low. My red cells were low. Like everything was off. And again, they were like, no, 
we don't think it's HIV. A second time. A second time. Yeah. So they gave me some fluids because I wasn't eating or drinking anything. So they gave me a bag of fluids, took, gave me some paracetamol, even though it wasn't working for my pain and sent me home. And I was like, is there anything else you give me for pain? Like, I cannot sleep with this pain. They're like, no, it's fine. Go home. What is the story, do you think, with people not wanting to test for HIV? I don't know. Is that a bad stigma as well, do you think? That as a nurse yourself, uh, you know, I in that know. setting. It was so strange because I work as a nurse now in a, in a you know, acute medical unit and we test people for vial screens. We have to kind of tell them we're testing them for HIV, which I think mm-hmm. is funny because some countries don't do that. We'll just say we're just doing some blood tests and yeah. we send off a viral screen. But here you have to, you know, get consent, which I think is a bit strange. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we don't ask to consent to check everything else. But um, I, yeah, I don't know. Is it is it because they don't believe women can get HIV? Like, is it like they think it's a, you know, oh, it's a heterosexual woman. She doesn't have it. She was tested recently. She's fine. Um, it's I just, think it happens to heterosexual men too. Yeah. 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 I think it's just. Uh, yeah, my my uh, female friend uh, went to her GP to get a full uh, an STI check. And she said, can I get HIV test too? And the doctor was like, why are you going to work with bisexual men? That's literally what he asked her. That is ridiculous. Isn't it? It's quite interesting just what they, they just see these risk groups or highest risk without actually just seeing it as a virus that can affect anyone once the opportunity presents itself. And it's not particularly expensive or anything. I'm just trying to figure it out. It's cost effective. Uh-huh. actually yeah. to tre- uh, test the, people the more people that have it like you're not yeah the more people you test you know you're out ruling it you can get it treated it's just mm-hmm. you know health costs are expensive so the second time you were giving a no what happened afterwards <laughs> so that was i remember the first day i went in it was a wednesday and then the second time was a friday that was friday night so i went home and i remember getting home and vomiting in the sink in the kitchen and i was like i am so unwell mm. and then on the sunday i'm screaming crying at home again can't eat can't drink can't sleep taking everything i was taking neurofen Panadol, Ponston, like Diphene. I remember taking every pill I could for pain and nothing was touching my pain. And I was like, that's it. I'm so, I'm so over this. So I went back to this. I should have gone to a different hospital at this point. But I thought if I kept presenting to the same hospital, they'd finally take me seriously. So I went back to the same hospital. And I'm sitting out in any waiting room and I'm sobbing. And they're like, this girl, like there's something going on here. Um, so they brought me straight in. And then because I was, again, still spiking fevers, had like a heart, had fast heart rate, was like, had been sick. They were like, you've got COVID. And I was like, no, I don't have COVID. I've been tested twice already. And I have not left my house mm-hmm. since becoming sick and tested because I'm so unwell. I can't leave the bed. And they're like, no, you've got COVID. So they shoved me into this COVID board, kind of a part of ED. Um, and everyone's going around in like the full PPE and stuff. And I'm just crying. Oh I cannot God. stop crying. And the consultant comes in and he's like, what is going on? And I said, look, this is what happened. I was recently exposed to HIV. I took PEP. I was told I was negative, but something is not right. And I'm, I was like, I'm not leaving. I was like, I'm not leaving until someone takes me seriously. I was like sobbing in front of him. And he was like, no, I believe you. He's like, we're going to send off all your bloods. So he took off, he sent everything. He took off, you know, all the viral screens, all the bloods, HIV panel, everything. And he was like, we're going to book you for an MRI. As an inpatient, I want you to get MRI because your back's obviously really, yeah. really hurting you. So I was a crying with relief. I was like, finally, someone's listening to me. Oh my um, God, those three words, we believe you. Yeah. Isn't that, it's just so transformative. Yeah, uh, You have to self-advocate yeah. for that. And as a nurse, like, I just felt like, wow, I can't believe people could treat it like this. I was seeing yeah. the other side of things. Like, yeah. wow, this is actually how people have to really mm-hmm. fight for people to take them seriously in mm-hmm. the hospital. Um, how did the results come back then? So <laughs> the next day I was sitting with my friend and the doctor comes in and he, I, so the minute the doctor said to me on the Saturday, it could be in a, like a malignancy in your spine. That's all I could think about. Yeah. Like I have cancer. Like I kept thinking I have cancer, I have cancer, I have cancer. Cause my blood tests were weird as well. And I thought like, oh God, you know, white cells were down. She really thought it was a malignancy. So not, so now do I. Um, and then when they came in and they were like, so your 
so I got the outpatient MRI and they came in and told me at the same time. So they're like, so um, your MRI results are back and so are your bloods. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got to go. And they're like, so the MRI shows you've got a slipped disc. And I was like, okay, so you're fine. And they go, but your HIV tests have come back and we've seen that you're positive. And I breathe a sigh of relief. I was like, oh God, that's all it is. I, you know, oh, I can deal with the HIV. I just yeah. didn't want cancer. Like I remember. Or MS, right? It's yeah. Like, like wow. I was like, cause obviously as a nurse, I know it's, I never was worried about the treatment. Like mm. my friend had recently been diagnosed, the guy I was seeing. So I knew that like he was now on treatment. He was fine. U equals U. I knew all of this. So I was not scared of any of that. I was so scared I had cancer. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, breathe sigh of relief. I'm fine. And they're like, are you okay? And like, they told me in a four bed ward as well. So I had like all the patients just curtains around, like everyone could hear. Mm-hmm. So that was really strange. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I'm just relieved. And they're like, okay, we have to send the blood test just to confirm, just yeah. to make sure. So they took more bloods and then that was that but I remember before the bloods came back I was seen by like five or six different teams like rheumatology infectious diseases like orthopedics everything because they just didn't know what was going on I just my bloods were so weird mm-hmm. seen by like gastro because my liver functions were so off like mm-hmm. my liver functions were crazy bad so then they did my bloods and my viral load was nine million <gasps> which I was wow. like wow yeah it was really high I was so and just for perspective wow. when you're undetectable they're less than 40 per mil of your blood yeah like now yeah. mine I got my blood done two weeks so I'm less than 20 really so, less than 20 yeah. from 9 from million nine down million. to less 20 I know it was crazy wow. so they were like this is why you feel so so bad like you're oh you, I, so apparently what happened was the pep submerged the virus so low but then when I stopped taking the pep it just like exploded and I seroconverted really really intensely and wow. got yeah I get chills sometimes when we make this podcast because I hear something I've never heard before. And the idea that you are thinking, oh, thank goodness, it's only HIV and it's not cancer or anything else is a first for me. It's amazing. It was. It was. I I remember my friend being like, I'm so sorry. Like, grab my hand. And I was like, no, I'm I'm, this is actually relief. Like, I just Mm. didn't really, really didn't want to have like you know spinal cancer yeah <laughs> great testimony to where we're at with medicine and with yeah. you equals you and mm-hmm. with fighting stigma yeah. that you as a professional mm-hmm. but also as someone now living with hiv yeah. felt that yeah. way mind-blowing wow. yeah I love it. obviously afterwards then there comes the low of like oh now i have to deal with this and yeah. dating and you know the stigma so that obviously came after but at that moment i was like God. Helped forced. <laughs> then I had to lie to everyone and be like, oh, so it's a virus. This is what I've been telling everyone since that obviously doesn't know my status. I got a virus and it gave me acute hepatitis, which was true. I had acute hepatitis because my liver was so inflamed from mm. the seroconversion that I got acute hepatitis. And I told everyone that and they were like, oh, how'd you get it? And I was like, oh, I had been in Bali like a month or two before. And I was like, oh, I must have picked up some bug in Bali and virus. And, you know, um, so that was my life for the last three years. But now I finally can admit that I had acute hepatitis from HIV. Wow. Mm. How does it feel? good I hate lying and hate just like you know you feel like the lies kind of start to go one way or the other with people and like you feel like oh someone's gonna figure out that this isn't real Mm -hmm. you know so I'm glad it's out there say it can I bring you back to Sydney Mm -hmm. because we're just back from Sydney (laughs) (laughs) and I think we have a similar story there because I you were looking for permanent residency yeah am I correct yeah tell us a little bit more about that that was pretty heartbreaking so my the ex I'd been with before I got diagnosed um I was on his visa so I was like I need to get on PR right now I need to get on PR I need to get permanent residency sorry permanent residency sorry (laughs) I need to get on permanent residency straight away um so I went to a lawyer and he was like yeah that's fine well so we started doing the works I started doing the English test you have to do the English test to get points for the the residency Mm -hmm. and then I went back to him a few months later when I had the English test done and he was like okay we'll start the new thing now and I was like, by the way, um, I don't know if this is an issue, but I have HIV and will that affect me? And he was like, oh my God, yes. He was like, he, 
he was like, you know, you're, you know, they won't want a nurse um, to get permanent residency because you can affect your job and all this. Oh and my he was, God. He, he knew that you couldn't get PR because being, because of HIV, but he didn't know why. So he mm. was just putting out all this random information that was so incorrect. And I was like, that doesn't sound logistic or real to me, but mm. okay. So I went and spoke with this um, support worker who was also HIV positive. She was lovely. And she was like, oh, it's because, you know, med, like, I think was it Medicare it's called in Australia. They didn't, they won't sponsor someone because it's too expensive for their government to give you permanent residency and but I was like but I'm already getting the free meds so what difference does it make it, it just it didn't make any sense to me but she was mm-hmm. like that's why so she got me in touch with HALC which is like the HIV legal services in Australia mm-hmm. and then they were like what's the name of this lawyer we're going to contact him and complain because he hadn't a clue what he was talking about mm-hmm. and that's not the reason why you can't get it again you're self-advocating <laughs> aren't you really against yeah. ignorance of yeah it was pretty bad people in the legal profession and the healthcare profession and um, just on that point, I don't know, from what I understand after coming back from Sydney or, and Melbourne and talking to these organisations, they told us that um, Ireland has this reciprocal agreement with Australia mm-hmm. and that there is a thing called a health waiver. So if you've been denied permanent residency, um, there's something that you can do uh, additionally to waive that based upon a health issue such as HIV, but not many I didn't know about that. Yes, not yeah. many. So you need a, like a specific immigration lawyer, for example. Yeah. Um, but it's more hoops to jump through, right? At that point, I was so angry at Australia. Yeah. <laughs> I was so badly treated in the hospital. Um, I was so just fed up. And I was like, why do I want to stay in this country that doesn't want me? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how my brain went. Um, what's it like living with HIV in Sydney versus Ireland? <laughs> Surprisingly very like the clinic in Galway shout out to the clinic in Galway they're Mm. amazing like Nicola Boyle my nurse specialist was just so welcoming when I came and she was so nice and she went through everything with me she was like I don't know if they explained all these blood tests and all this you know results and you know the the test they do for um to see if you're resistant to certain meds she went through all that with me and I just thought like wow no one really ever sat me down and explained all this in Sydney I feel like I was nearly the doctors were lovely but I just felt like I was I don't know Mm another number well in Nicola made me feel so welcome and she also obviously I knew some people working in the clinic because I work in the same hospital and that was tough and mm-hmm. she was like look I've let the doctor and the nurse know that you used to work with that you're coming in it's not a big deal and I freaked out I was like oh no no I can't come in I can't they can't see me in there like no they can't know and she was like why and I was like oh it's just so embarrassing and she was like why and I was like and she was like, you had sex. Like, everyone has sex. Well, obviously, ev- obviously, obviously everyone has sex. Like, you yeah. just did, you did what every... We love you, Nicola. Yeah, yeah. like, you did what an adult does. Like, why are you so ashamed? And yeah. I think it was, I think a lot of the reason I have a lot of shame is because I'm a nurse and I feel like I should know I should know better. Even though I didn't do anything wrong, mm-hmm. I, you know, I we were having safe sex, but I feel like, oh, I'm a nurse. I should have, you know, self-stigma. I should have done something different. I should have been safer. I, sh- I don't know. So that was hard. Um, yeah, but people who have had unsafe sex, you know, st- struggle with that too. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really matter at it the end of the day. It doesn't matter, yeah. And it's just, I think, because you're a healthcare worker, I think there's probably a lot of more judgment on healthcare workers to be, I don't know. Um, what's been your experience of hearing about HIV in healthcare settings? It's funny. Um, <laughs> my friend said the last day, and I I feel bad because she was really guilty afterwards, and she's probably going to listen to this and be like, that was me. <laughs> she was talking to me in the in the tea room, and we were chatting about HIV. I don't know how it came up, but I'm always that person that's like, oh, my friend is diagnosed, and, you know, this is what happened to her. And so everyone that's listening now works, and we're like, oh, my God, Aoife's, like, always talking about these things, and it was actually her she's been talking about. But we had a patient in one day with HIV, and I don't know how she was saying that, like, she would always wear gloves when she was going to do anything with HIV patient and I was like why she's like oh you know wouldn't you just wear gloves wouldn't you just feel like I don't know you'd have to I was like no 
why why do you feel that and I don't think I ever felt that way I can't remember a time before I was positive ever really thinking about that so I you know I can't remember what I used to think about HIV before I was infected but I don't think I ever would have worn gloves unnecessarily I always knew like you can't get it you know from just touching someone's skin Mm -hmm. so um she was like I'd always wear gloves like I don't know I just wouldn't you and I was like well no but you know I am HIV positive and she was so shook and then she felt really bad and she was like I give you a hug like I'm so sorry uh, like um she didn't put the gloves on I hope but she hasn't worked with me since <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's a lovely girl and I think that you know even that then you're like that's when you realize like oh god you know there needs to be more education and mm-hmm. she was embarrassed and she felt really bad and I, I i love you don't worry i'm not i'm not upset with you <laughs> but your visibility changed someone's perception of hiv exactly. just through that one conversation and that's why i think i was like i need to do this because mm-hmm. there's so many people that need that have you experienced stigma in any kind of other setting just when i was getting my knee done in australia i was getting knee surgery i tore my acl and death drops yeah (laughs) no more death drops for me Noah (laughs) it wasn't even that exciting I was doing jump squats in the gym it was really embarrassing (laughs) everyone was like why is she crying on the floor and I was there like rocking but you have an ass to steal (laughs) (laughs) not anymore (laughs) Um, yeah so when I was going for the surgery I knew a few nurses that worked in that hospital and I knew I was going to be on their ward and I obviously didn't want to know them to know that I was HIV positive so I didn't declare it on my like health thing when you're checking in they're like oh what's your history but I said it to my surgeon um I was told by the clinic I don't have to disclose if I didn't want to but I said it to my surgeon anyways he's an Irish guy and he was like oh that's fine I'm like the poster girl of it can happen to anyone like even when you're like (laughs) being as safe as we were like it just can happen and it's just unfortunate and yeah so with going back to the surgeon then um so I said it to him is it important to tell you guys if I have it and he's like no it doesn't make any difference to surgery so that was fine and then I was going in and the niece just came up and he said asked me a few questions and I can't remember how I got in how I ended up saying it to him anyways and he was like you should have told me that and I was like why and he's like well because like you know there's a risk and I was like well actually there's not because you use standard precautions like every patient mm-hmm. and every patient can be a risk because you don't know everyone's status so you know it's not and he's like yeah I suppose you're right and I was so annoyed. Oh, good. He was like, yeah, but but I think we are all taught that. I remember being taught that in college, like standard precautions. You don't know who what anyone has. So we yeah. always use gloves. We If we get a needle stick injury, we go straight down to A&E. We get our bloods done. They do a full range of bloods on the patient you were, you got a needle stick from because we don't know who has mm. HIV, who has hepatitis, who, you know. So when he said when he said that, I was so annoyed. I was like... I can't wipe the smile off my face <laughs> listening to you because you have superpowers, you know. Yeah. You are now an out woman living with HIV, which are as rare as hen's teeth yes. in, in this planet, especially mm-hmm. in this country. But also, you're a healthcare worker and a great speaker and you explain things really well. And mm-hmm. I really am just sitting here grinning because you can help so many people. You are such a great agent for change because you can speak for us you're one of us mm-hmm. in a setting where yeah. you're also one of them yeah i know yeah. i'm on both sides <laughs> you're it's gonna hook shit up in the hsc yeah, <laughs> I love I it. Know. <laughs> Hope all, so. they're all gonna be on prep they're all gonna be on detective <laughs> uh-huh. prep for the devs folks yeah. prep for the devs <laughs> so you got home and a lot of your friends and family know how how was that whole situation because like yeah. it wasn't on your radar that you could ever get it so i suppose some jaws dropped how did they find out? And that was fun. Yeah. Hi, mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've always wanted to tell my parents, but I was too afraid to. I think 
I went on holidays to New Zealand and when I came back, me and mum, we went down to Ackle Island. We have a holiday home down there, so we go down there quite a lot. And mum's like, let's go for a walk. It's gorgeous today. And I was like, okay, so we're walking for, for a walk. And mum goes, um, um, you know that time you're in hospital with, um, you know, the active hepatitis and things like, do you, um, do you cake meds for that now? And I was like, fuck, I she knows. Fuck, she knows. And I was like, yeah, mum, I take meds. And she was like, yeah, um, you know, what meds are they? And I was like, I just knew she knew. She was yeah. dancing around it. And I was like, mum, I have HIV. And she was like, I knew it. And I was like, what, how did you find out, mum? And she was like, oh, well, I went into your room to get a nail, <laughs> I went into your room to get a nail file. And I, I had the meds in a bag in my bedside locker, like in a little cupboard. Now, I didn't have the best hiding space, like, you know, but I, I was living there at the time with my partner. So I just assumed mum wouldn't go into my room because yeah. now I was like it was someone else living in that room but it didn't stop there she saw the bag and she goes what's this and she went to google <laughs> so then she opened the bag she saw all the meds and she was like okay I'm gonna google this so it didn't stop at yeah. seeing the bag opening the bag it was I'm gonna google this and then it came up saying that whatever I don't know which med it was because I'm obviously I'm on three so whatever med she googled it was like oh this can be used for hepatitis or HIV so she thought maybe I was still on it from the hepatitis um but I think it was a blessing in disguise in that point because we ended up having a lovely walk, chatted the whole time about it. And it was, and she was very understanding and very nice mm -hmm. and more educated than I thought she was going to be. Um, maybe she'd been researching while she was waiting for me to come home from New Zealand. Um, I, but it was funny. She did say one thing that I thought was funny. She was like, oh, so now you have AIDS. And I was like, no, mm -hmm. I do not have AIDS. I was like, AIDS is different. And I think a lot of people of her generation don't know the difference it's between HIV and age, AIDS. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was funny. I was like, no, I do not have AIDS. Um, and even the people my age, like my friend, when I told her, she was like, oh my God, you're going to die of AIDS soon? And I was like, yeah. God, no. Like, so, you know, it's still a lot of yeah. education needs to be done between my parents' age and my friends. So, yeah. Yeah. And then when mom found out, I said, does dad know? And she said, look, I've told him about the meds, but um, I can tell him for you if you want. Because dad would be a bit more conservative than my mom. Um, and I just knew he wasn't going to take it very well. And I said, no, I need to do this. I'll tell him. So mom had gone out to the shop or something and I just sat down and told dad and he wasn't very happy mm -hmm. <laughs> um he was definitely a bit upset and he was like I know I, I explained to you safe sex when you were younger like I told you like how could you let this happen and I was like I was having safe sex and he was like well clearly you weren't mm -hmm. and I was like dad I was I swear I was and I tried to explain but he was so upset at that moment that I think he just wasn't taking in anything I was saying yeah. and so I, me I remember getting on to Nicola, my nurse, and I was like, can you chat with my parents? They're, like, I think my dad's just not really taking it well. I've been trying to explain to him and he's not really listening. Um, and she was like, of course, like they can come in and chat to me whenever. And as well as that, I was trying to explain to him the U equals U. I was like, dad, if I cut my hand now and you had a cut in your hand and we mixed blood, you would not mm -hmm. get it from me. I'm completely undetectable, which means I'm completely untransmissible. Let's do it. Let's do it. I yes. have a knife. <laughs> Let's all three of us do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was like, just not, he wasn't taking in anything I was saying. So I thought Nicola would be a great yeah. one to, to talk to. It's them. good to have an outside person sometimes. And Nicola used to work with my dad um, in the hospital. Because oh, my wow. dad works in the hospital as like a services manager. Mm -hmm. So he, she actually knew of him so she was like yeah that's fine I'll bring your dad in um so mom and dad went in and when they got home dad was a bit quiet and he kind of me and dad hadn't really been talking that much since I told him because I think there was I don't know there was awkwardness and I just was a bit upset with him he was a bit upset with me mm -hmm. um so then mom I said to mom um you know how did it go and she was like oh yeah dad asked a few questions and I didn't I didn't mention this but we live with my nephew at the moment my brother and his wife just moved home from England so they're living with us at the moment so the nephew's in the house and he's like the craziest beautiful, most beautiful little toddler Aww. um so obviously I'm always playing with him and around the house and I think dad had asked Nicola like um what's the risk to him 
and that broke oh my, my heart. Mm. I was like, I explained, I went to mom, I was like, I already explained to dad that I can't pass it to anyone. Mm-hmm. Why would he ask that? And mom was like, you know, he's just worried. Like, you know, it was his grandchild. And, I, and in that moment, it was like, he didn't care about me. It was, he cared about my, his grandchild. Yeah. And that's not, and I know my dad's going to say this. And it's, I know that I, that's not how he felt. It was just how his head was thinking. I mean, yeah. they grew up in the eighties. They grew up in, they were living in New York in the eighties. I'm sure they saw so much AIDS. And but just personally, it's just hard being seen as just a risk to others yeah. rather than a human being that can really, really hurt. And it takes a while to get over. Yeah. But in another way, you can kind of see where he's coming from. Sometimes it takes a while for this information to yeah. settle in as well. But I said to mom that day, I was like, mom, I was like, he's still mad at me. And mom's like, he's not mad at you. And I was like, he is, he's not talking to me. And then that evening, dad came down and he knocked on my door and he's like, do you want a cup of tea? Aww. And it was like, the ice was broken. And it was like, we're back to normal. And we've been completely normal since. The like, power of a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> I say it all the time. Yeah. So I've, I've, don't hold it against my dad. It was just... He grew up, he always worked in hospitals as well. And I think he probably just saw so much. And mm-hmm. they grew up, as I said, they were in New York in the 80s. So I can imagine it was quite intense mm-hmm. in the 80s there as well. And yeah. I think it was just, I think at that moment he was so, I don't know. I mean, like my nephew was in the house all the time. Maybe he just was like, oh, is there any risk? Like maybe yeah. he just wanted to outrule it, you know. But yeah, it was, it was hurtful, but I forgave him. It's all fine now. We are the best of mates again <laughs> no one is going to choose it for their kid but while you're talking about your dad I was thinking about when you got your results and how you were thinking yeah it's not cancer and it's yeah. not this mm. yeah. so you're already helping to change other parents yeah. are going to hear this too yeah. and realize that HIV is not the end of the world yeah. and for people deal. living with HIV we hear it all the time they don't want to tell the parents because they say they're too old they won't understand but then you're holding a big part of yourself away from your parents so you just want them to be a listening you want that cup of tea with your parents and I think what your story really illustrates is sometimes they might have a bad initial reaction, mm. but once they just see you living your life and thriving in life and being healthy, that's all parents really should care about. Yeah. And they get over it after a while and then it becomes such a small part of your life. Yeah. And they should be nothing but proud of you. What are your parents' names? Yeah. Mary and Pat, the most Irish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Mary. Mary. Hello, Hello, Mary Pat. Pat. <laughs> oh, wow. What amazing yeah. parents, though. Wow. Yeah, no. And like, a few years ago, I was doing this head shave for charity and they were like, oh my God, this is huge. And then when I told them I was doing this, they were like, oh my God. Like they were obviously worried about me and like, you know, people are going to treat you differently. And once it's out there, you can't hold back. But I was like, I'm doing this. That's it. And they were like, okay, you know, once, mm-hmm. once I have an idea in my head, there's no stopping me. So they're kind of like, okay, go for it. And I think mm-hmm. when they see that it is going to be a good change, I think they'll be happy about it. I think yeah. for the minute they're a bit nervous, but yeah. you know. Well, Mary and Pat, if I can say anything to you is, you know, we are about out about our status and the majority of people are just so respectful and they find power in the vulnerability and they know you're making an impact. And yes, you might get a few bad eggs or bad um, initial reactions, but ultimately what it does for us personally is it sets us free. Yeah. It really stops us from um, exacerbating mental health issues, for example. We feel that we're more in control in our life and ultimately we're healthier for it. So yes, maybe initially the first week or two might be a bit iffy and there's getting used to it. But when we're thinking about the long-term game, what you're doing now is incredible. And having the support of your family and friends behind you, that's just when real magic is. Yeah. What's your friends? What's your girlies like in Galway? They're amazing. I, yeah. have, so many, I have so many amazing friends. Um, 
I the first person I told was my bestie Claire shout out to Claire um and she's just been incredible since every time I'm freaking out about anything I'll just send her a voice note she's in London I'm like oh this is happening and she's just so supportive and my bestie Jenny I told her as well uh, quite early on but there is a lot of my friends that don't know yet and I feel like they're going to be hurt when I come out about this I'm um, so glad that you said that I wanted to ask you about that it's a great moment maybe yeah. for us to talk about them and for you to maybe give them a little message I think if you do hear this and you don't know about it yet just know that um it's just I wanted to tell you but there was never a right time or it had been left too long or it was just I was scared and not about their reaction just more I don't know it's a hard story to tell yeah. and it's so easy to tell you too because I feel like you know about the trauma of it all but when you're telling someone that doesn't really know it can just be so exhausting um so yeah there's a few friends that will probably be shocked that I haven't told them yet um but I'm sorry and I love you <laughs> I didn't tell quite a few of my friends and I can honestly say they, it's not because I love them any less yeah no it's definitely not that and you know a few people are like have you told that person yet have you told that person yet and I'm like when I decided to come on the podcast my friend was like maybe you should tell this person before you do it and I was like no at this point now I just want it to just be everyone here at the same time so. I came out by ripping off the band-aid and just coming In out very publicly. Music video, I know. <laughs> yes, yeah. very publicly. And it's it's hard. And yeah. so I really applaud what you're doing. And we've had other wonderful people come out on our podcast, the first being our friend Lewis. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing when someone comes out this way. I mm -hmm. think it is because there is something that you can share your story already with people without you having to relive your story yeah. again, again and again. again yeah. But it also, it took its toll on my nerves. And I, yeah. I remember physically shaking a lot when the release was happening. Yeah. So there's going to be a release date for this as yeah. well. I'm going to just hide at home for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling about the, the release? Very nervous. Mm -hmm. Very nervous, but excited. I think it'll be so nice to finally just be free um, and out there and not have to hide or feel shamed or anything. But obviously, I think the first few days, like you said, are going to be very intense and I'm going to be getting a lot of messages. Maybe a few mask cards. I heard yeah, you on the yeah, podcast. Two you mask got a cards. mask card. I was like, I'll yeah. send you a mask card just for the laugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a few oh. white lilies. <laughs> that made me really laugh when you're like, yeah, I got to go mask her from my mom, I'm not dying and she's like it's a tata can't rub it it's a free shade it's a free shade I was like oh my um, god but that's people not knowing the difference between HP yeah, and AIDS yeah, well, right? yeah. so I might get a few mask cards who knows <laughs> it's a few tricky conversations that are gonna come up however once it's done it's over they're done yeah they're done you're done with it the freedom of that I actually I feel free for you <laughs> I know what the feeling is gonna be like yeah it's truly incredible yeah, and anybody listening at home, living with HIV, especially people who identify as women, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, Instagram. Just mess me on Instagram. What's I your Instagram? Love... What's your Instagram handle? It's like Aoife Marie underscore or something. But you guys will share me. It'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, we're um, going to show you anyone who will listen, honestly. <laughs> no, I'm welcome. I would so welcome for anyone to message me. And when I listened to how you said you would be a peer support for people when with James's I was like wow I wish that I could have messaged someone yeah. they'd done that for me like that would have been really really nice to just text someone and say oh my god this is happening because mm -hmm. even though obviously I got diagnosed with the guy I was seeing you know he didn't want to talk about it it was more like he just didn't he just shied away from it nothing you know mm -hmm. so it was I didn't have anyone really to talk to about it for so long 
the isolation's the worst, mm. isn't it? You feel like you're going through this and you might have the most supportive people around you, but if they don't know what you're feeling or what you're yeah. going through, it just feels like that distance and support. But for anyone listening, HTV Ireland does have a peer support network all around Ireland and amazing mm. peer support workers and peers and friends. Um, to get in contact, it's really, really amazing and it's doing great work from all um, all that I hear. And I just think you're at the stage where you could be a peer support tour. <laughs> you could be it's, tr- it's truly yeah. incredible um and there's a women's group from hiv yes. ireland's a whatsapp group because i know you had some friends in sydney living with hiv right? yeah so about a year into my diagnosis i am um, i got in touch with um kind of a support worker and she said oh we have a women's group and we used to do zooms online and that was really nice and then right before i left australia we met up for like a dinner and it was so lovely to just talk in a room like this where you can just talk about it and yeah. and everyone was telling each other about their meds and you know how they got diagnosed and it was so freeing it was like mm-hmm. the most amazing feeling and then I moved home and it was like I lost all that again yeah. um and they were lovely girls so I know so many women live my HIV in this country and let me tell you they're going to be our best mates because they are <laughs> amazing I can't wait to introduce you to them all they're oh, really incredible I can't wait to talk to them yeah I am um, Ireland won when you came back that's all I can say oh thanks <laughs> yeah no I, I really really mean it and um, the reason why I just feel just so amazed by having you here and you so visible and sharing your story so like articulately is that a word yeah. it is okay, I'm not articulate yes. it, is now. <laughs> it is a word as Veda said initially it's because you know um we have Liz Martin who wrote an amazing book and has come out about living with HIV we have Rebecca Talenda Haviland you know an amazing activist working for HIV Ireland now who's just incredible um and then we have you and your story is just so unique right now because you don't mind me saying you're 27 at the I moment so very young and getting old three no, years getting old. ago was 24 so very young perspective 24, yeah. and it's a story that exists in this country but when mm. we don't hear um do you think that being so young has kind of helped with the whole hiv story that's a good question probably yeah i think in this day and age, I feel like, you know, Gen Z, millennials, there's a lot less judgment, maybe. Um, I don't, I think, again, a lot of education, but I feel like once they do hear, they're, they're not very judgmental people. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's just my perspective, but I feel like it's really easy to talk to people my age and they're very understanding and very interested to know and, and listen and learn. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think so. I think if I'd been diagnosed, you know, older, or even a few years earlier, maybe it would have been a lot harder. I don't mm-hmm. know. I've never really thought about it. Yeah. I have a theory that there's the pre-COVID and post-COVID stuff is very significant when it comes to HIV. Possibly, I think yeah. that how people perceive viruses and, and the it's whole different. experience, and you're someone now, like your X-Man origin story is, <laughs> is experiencing both of those things at the yeah. same right time. Right at the exact same time. Yeah. yeah, and I think that influences how people perceive it as well and probably why you are more empowered than women mm. who went before you. Maybe part of it anyway I think do you have any fears for the future uh dating is one dating is scary um obviously I recently uh, broke up with my partner in December and you know he was there quite early on the diagnosis so he was very understanding and I think now starting all over again is so exhausting and I just just in general hate to be or not hate to be or not I hate dating it's like so stressful and I recently went back on the apps and I've been talking to people and I'm like no I'm not ready for this because I don't want to have to disclose to them, you know, once I start dating someone and now I feel like once I'm out there, it's out there and, mm-hmm. you know, that they'll know it from the beginning right off the bat and it'll be different. So it'll kind of 
shift away people I don't need. I don't want, if they don't want me, I'm like, good. I, yes. I'm, it's a filter. It's a filter. <laughs> it's a filter. So, yeah. We need a Tinder filter. Yeah. Get rid of all the, the crappy men. <laughs> <laughs> There's an episode from last season with Bakija. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called The Good Host, the episode is, and she gives amazing dating advice for women living with HIV. So, for you and for our listeners, it's a good one to check it yeah, out. Okay. It is really good. And I asked you about any fears, but do you have, like, what do you hope for in the future? What's the exciting part of the future coming up for this you? This is exciting. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is really exciting. And being part of a community now, I feel like, you know, having someone, people I can work with and talk to and advocate and educate. And just, yeah, that's that's really it. I'm really excited for all of this. And I feel like everything's changing now already. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really exciting. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel the love in the room. I feel the change that's going to happen from this conversation, <laughs> both personally amazing. and the impact it's going to have for many women or just many people uh, living with HIV in this country. So I just want to applaud you. Thank you. Um, do you want to have any lasting words for our listeners or for your friends, family, other women living with HIV? I'm like, I have so many besties that I told, like, that I, I want to shout out. But another best friend of mine was Stephen. He lives in Brazil with his boyfriend. And he was one of the first people I messaged as well. I feel like he had spoke to me before about, um, actually, maybe I won't say that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, he was one person I messaged straight away because I suppose he was gay. And I just felt like I could easily explain to him how I was feeling. And I've he's been best friends with, like, how long are we best friends now for years I was one of the first people to come out to I think um so I just had this it was so easy for me to message him and talk to him about everything that was happening and he was so amazing and like so understanding and he knew obviously everything about you because you and you're gonna be fine and all the meds and when I told him I was doing this like he was like oh my god this is incredible like go for it because a few people were like oh are you sure and he was like no do it do it and he was just incredible and I just wanted to shout out him as well because it was he was just amazing throughout the whole thing um, and also to his boyfriend Osmar because I love you <laughs> great point because there's a lot of paternalism when you say oh I think I want to come out about my status everyone tries to put doubt into your mind oh yeah do you like do you want to and sometimes you're like yeah I do but then they make you question yourself I was really questioning it the last few days because my parents and a few people were like mm, this is a big step are you sure like once it's out there there's no going back and I was like why can't I get like this fire and encouragement mm. and then Stephen was like go for it don't listen to the rest of them you're like do it so yeah. shout, out to Stephen. shout out to Stephen shout out to Stephen uh, yeah. I I know all the people who probably put that in your head is going to listen to this and they're going to realize that what they said was from a loving place, but they didn't need to worry. No, they don't need to worry. No, definitely your future not. is bright. Yeah, no, genuinely, I'm not worried. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. And you're rocking to you because you top. Yes, I have my little. We have so many T-shirts to give you, Eva. Yeah, now it's <laughs> <laughs> my new pajama T-shirt. Yeah, oh, for a good baggy no, T-shirt to bed. You're gonna be wearing just the coppers. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to coppers. No, you never want to. You never want to. I wouldn't put you through that. <laughs> I'll wear it tonight. We are going on a night out tonight. Are you I'm excited? I'm so excited. I mean, I was telling everyone yesterday, I'm like, I'm going out to Dublin tomorrow to a drag show. I'm so excited. Yes, we're going to see Veda in all her glory. I'm not so excited. <laughs> I'm just what? kidding. I'm okay. just kidding. No. no, it'll be a lot of fun. I just mean that I need to get my act together. I need to shave. Well, I need a shower. <laughs> I need a drink. Yes. <laughs> I think we all could do it. I drink. think so. Really need a drink. I think so. <laughs> well, folks, that is the end of our very special episode of the Positive Podcast. Thank you so much, Aoife, thank for coming you. on. Thank you for having me. It was it was really amazing. It's a privilege, Aoife. Really, mm-hmm. thank you. You don't know how much it means to us. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And I community. really enjoyed it. Okay, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Positive Podcast. And remember, folks, to stay powerful and to stay positive. positive. Bye, folks. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to Pos Vibe Podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. This season of Pos Vibe Podcast is recorded in Sydney, Australia, on the land of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people. We wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this beautiful place.